listening to the third instalment of Work Shift from RSA Radio, a series exploring the big shifts which are underway in the way we work and how they should be responded to. I'm Anthony Painter. In this episode, we're looking at the gig economy and the questions of flexibility, insecurity and fairness it has thrown up. Gig work. Small jobs sourced through online platforms where workers log in, complete jobs on request and are paid per task. There are concerns these platforms hold too much power and are essentially large employers avoiding their responsibilities to extend appropriate rights and entitlements to workers. Another view would say platform companies like Uber or Deliveroo have created better, more efficient services, that they're giving workers the freedom and flexibility to work around other commitments. And rather than being employers, they are platforms which connect users with providers. How should governments and society respond to the gig economy to ensure that work facilitated through platforms is fair and decent? With me to explore this are Liv Siboney, who is co-founder of Grub Club, a platform for shared dining experiences in unusual locations. Joining us from New York is Trevor Schultz, a leader of the platform corporatism movement and an associate professor for culture and media at the New School in New York. He's co-editor with Nathan Schneider of the recent essay collection, Ours to Hack and to Own, The Rise of Platform Corporatism, A New Vision for the Future of Work and a Fairer Internet. And finally, we have Bremi Ballaram, who leads the RSA's research on the sharing economy. Bremi, would you like to kick us off? Just give us an overview of what is happening to gig work, how it's expanding, how it's growing, but also why it's becoming more controversial. We're definitely going to see more growth of the gig economy. The RSA undertook a large survey in the space to better understand the nature of gig work in the UK. And what we're finding is that gig work is particularly popular among young people. So one in four young people would consider some form of gig work in future. But we also don't want to isolate this trend of gig work. We want to contextualize it as part of wider trends in terms of the rise in self-employment, as well as thinking about how technology is changing work in general. When we think about that, we see that the core concern here is actually that the nature of work is changing. So we're kind of moving away from traditional employment, which has been the bedrock of social and economic security for many people. And that seems to be the main concern, that people are assuming that gig work won't necessarily provide that same level of social and economic security. And so in terms of the recent controversy over employment status... People are trying to challenge their employment status in the gig economy. So currently they're classified as self-employed and there have been a number of test cases which are challenging self the self-employed status on the grounds that these workers are what's considered to be workers in the UK, which is a third status that exists here. And this entitles people to more rights in terms of basic protections. So for example, they can challenge unfair dismissal or they can have more access to holiday and sick pay, for example. And do you think the charge that some platform employers are using employment law to not adopt their full responsibilities towards those who use the platform is a fair one? What we have to keep in mind here is that platforms operate in diverse ways. I think that we tend to think of platforms as really homogenous, and that's been the the approach that a lot of governments have taken, for example, when they try to regulate platforms. So they either try to create a hostile environment to ban or deter platforms from operating, or they're very welcoming and therefore provide platforms free reign. And I think it's because they fall into this trap of thinking of platforms in a particular way. So some platforms may be exercising more control than others, and that's the crux of what these test cases are trying to explore. But I wouldn't assume that all platforms are doing this. So we have to look at every case on its on its merits. Liv, you're co-founder of a platform which people are using to make a living, chefs are using to make a living. Would you like to tell us about Grub Club and what the business model is? 
Sure. So we connect talented, usually professional, but not always chefs with underused spaces that enables them to set up a temporary restaurant like a pop up or a supper club. And then we showcase those dinners on our site to sell to diners. So the end result is that diners get extraordinary meals in curious corners. They can either do it by booking a number of tickets to an existing dinner, or they can also come to us asking us to help them create their own private restaurant for the night. So they'll pick a chef, pick a venue and then have their own private restaurant for the night. The way we monetize it is that we take a commission for every ticket that is sold on the platform. And tell us a little more about the chefs who use the platform. I mean, what's the typical proportion of their earnings they might earn through Grub Club? It actually really sort of increases over time. So it really is a sort of stepping stone towards them essentially setting up their own food business. So we would typically expect to work with them for maybe up to two years. And the idea is really they're testing an idea out. So a professional chef, the typical journey would probably would be a sous chef in a good restaurant. And they would start off by doing one dinner, seeing how it works. And then they would increase the frequency to doing it once a month, twice a month, etc., up to the point where they would probably then work with us up to five days a week towards the end of their journey. And that's really when they're at that cusp of then probably not really needing our platform so much anymore and then setting up their own restaurant, for example. Brumi argued that we needed to see the diversity of platforms. I mean, how do you see your platform in the constellation of the gig economy and how does it compare with some others, some that have got more publicity perhaps? On our platform, the chefs have full independence as to how much they work with us. We do reward them for putting more work our way. Obviously, there's the sort of initial element of us taking a commission for every ticket that's sold. So we all sort of benefit, but actually we'll give them access to better venues. We might get brand sponsorship. We'll give them priority over brand sponsored events if they're more loyal to us and work more with us. So there is definitely an element whereby we encourage them to do more events with us. But at the same time, we have just found that it works much better as an open relationship whereby we only get them to do the events that they're happy doing. So actually forcing them to do more events doesn't make any business sense in any way it actually changes the relationship that we have with the chefs and we genuinely have found from a pure business perspective that we work much better with the chefs when they have their own independence on the platform. Trevor you've studied the rise of digital labour as as an academic and you subsequently set up the platform cooperatives consortium do you see this same sort of diversity of platforms and how would you characterise the modern form of work based around um, gigs? Well, I'm, of course, very supportive of startups like Grub Club. So the critique that we are mounting isn't of companies like that. But if you look at the bigger picture, you basically found that while there is definitely increasing consumer convenience and definitely undeniable advantages for people between jobs or for students, we can very much notice that there's a concentration of social activity, of data on a very small number of sites. I mean, I'm not revealing anything new here, but if we are getting up in the morning, the chances are that the first sites that you visit, all of them are probably owned by a handful 
of companies. And this is what we are responding to. So over the last three years, there has been a sort of emerging movement of uh, businesses that basically bring the cooperative working model, the cooperative, the co-op business model into the digital economy. And also there, just like what you caught on before, this acknowledgement of different types of businesses. So you have anything from a cooperatively owned uh, online labor market to a cooperatively owned marketplace like eBay and taxi companies working just in a similar way to Uber, only that they are not taking these 25% of the drivers, but are operating with much smaller margins in the 5% range. And how, as a consumer, should we look at these developments? You know, obviously the convenience is there. There are costs, advantages. However, at the same time, we're seeing increasing coverage across a range of media about concerns about misclassification of workers, the power that the platforms have over workers, the lack of potential career progression there may be. How do consumers navigate this complex field? With all the news, especially over the last few weeks and months, at least here in the United States, you see the sort of misogynistic culture of Silicon Valley. You see that the rights of workers have been stalled. There's a commodification of things that used to be private. Privacy itself is under attack. I mean, this you see this very clearly if you pay any attention to what's happening with Uber, but also many other companies that really play the major part in this discussion because they are the ones that really dominate, right, with hundreds of thousands of workers and really playing a big role in the market. There's a nullification of the law, right? So basically laws and local guidelines are undercut by these companies. And last but not least, there's also an attack on public infrastructure. You see this here in New York City already with the number of people who use the subway and buses has decreased significantly over the last few years. And where do you think all this may end up? Right now, I see a lot of momentum for democratic ownership. I also talk to a lot of people who are working as startups and realize that the dependence that they are getting themselves into when they are taking VC money, so venture capitalist money, uh, of course, when you go that route, there is also an inevitable logic right, to this business model that you have to approach the market like a vacuum cleaner, right? If you have 18 to 24 months to return on your investment, then this is the only way you can think about a market, right? You have to extract. But if you go through the cooperative route and there are various funding models, there isn't just one, it takes much longer, but the rate of success is higher and people don't lose control of their businesses. I'm interested to hear from Liv on this point. There's a somewhat pessimistic view that's presented there. And obviously, as a participant in the gig economy, the platform economy, there are elements that you may or may not recognise. How would you respond to Trevor's concerns? I think they're really important concerns. And I think to both Trevor and Bromley's point earlier in terms of the nature of the work being done. So, of course, I think you can probably get a lot more drivers than charismatic, entertaining, talented chefs who are sort of slightly harder to sort of reach. And therefore, it becomes much more of a commodity. But I find it really fascinating, for example, when we're looking at the growth of our platform and how we're looking to expand, we're constantly finding this dilemma of thinking, we do need a lot of money to expand. It takes a huge amount of investment to pay for the platform to continue to grow, to 
advertise to try and change people's mindsets about the concept of social dining, about dining in different spaces, in the potential sort of regulatory challenges that we'll find. So we need a lot of money to be able to grow. And venture capital is the primary source of money that we would be able to get access to. But we're constantly having this dilemma of thinking, how long can we delay that decision? Because when you have angel investors who are private investors, the relationship is directly with them. They know that they don't need an immediate return on their money. They know that you're not just a number. You're actually trying to grow a business much more sustainably. But it's a slower growth. And if a competitor comes into the market and is able to get... 10 times more funding than us through a venture capital firm, then it becomes a bit of a land grab and it's quite a challenge. We have been lucky or good, I don't know, to date that we've had competitors who've had venture capital funding and I think we just execute maybe better than them, which means we haven't been taken out. But it is a really big dilemma and I don't have an answer, but I think you have to balance the need for sustainable growth and ethics and the environment with just the realities of the business world where you also just need speed and the growth in order to survive. Maybe not for Grub Club specifically, but could you see an attraction to the cooperative model as a way not just of providing a different balance of power with the chefs or whoever it may be that might use a platform, but a model that might give you some competitive edge in the marketplace? That has been my dream, actually. I would absolutely love to set up a cooperative model. If I'm honest, the reason we haven't done it is it's... looks incredibly complicated to navigate. I wonder, you know, one of the questions I can't figure out is how do you then manage the relationships with the chefs? If you want the chefs to be somewhat independent from the platform and have their own flexibility, if you give them ownership of the platform, they're going to leave in two years' time. Then how do you sort of balance that relationship? We've not figured it out. Bromi, in in your research, is this a dilemma that you recognise that there is an ethical concern, a desire to do things differently amongst many of the participants in the gig or platform economy and this sheer financial market pressure to outcompete your rivals? Because, of course, you have to grow exponentially in order to capture a marketplace in this environment, or at least that's how some of the major platforms have had to operate. So is this a dilemma that you sense within the gig economy? I mean, it definitely is. And we've talked a lot about network monopolies in previous RSI research. So that's thinking about how these networks scale as part of platforms and then tend to concentrate power. But I think that this is a larger problem within the economy. So I feel like for a long time in the traditional economy, we've just kind of turned a blind eye to concentrations of power because they've worked for consumers, whereas we haven't given much thought to how workers benefit in those sorts of scenarios or the fact that workers might be crushed in supply chains, for example, because companies are trying to scale. I think you're both absolutely right when it comes to financing. I think that is a large problem in terms of why we have these concentrations of power. And so we talk about the parameters of choice in the report. So we recognize that there are a lot of platforms that actually would consider it a completely different model, but feel limited by their parameters in terms of the decisions that they can make. And so we want to think about how do you actually address some of the systemic drivers in the market to enable different choices. And I think that having a diversity of funding would be one way in which we could do that. 
Trevor, this is reminiscent to me of some of the debates around the early stages of the internet, where you have the open, cooperative, commons model of the internet, and you have the corporately walled model of the internet. And there's been a sort of ongoing tension between the two. Is, is this a similar sort of debate playing out in the new gig economy? First of all, I think that while I'm, of course, have always been and still are a huge supporter of the pro-commons movement, free software, open software, etc., I also realized that there has been a real problem in the sector being able to provide livelihoods. While I can clearly see the importance of this work, but it has not led to sustainable income for a large number of people. Of course, there are small groups of free software cooperatives, etc., but that's not the rule. What I wanted to comment on is that we have actually been working with about the California Assembly Bill 626, which is an attempt in California to regulate the cottage food industry. So in particular, the California Homemade Food Act. As you probably know, there are similar developments in California with an app called Josephine in particular, where basically people cook at home and you pick up the food from your neighbor. This is currently illegal, but now the legislator is changing that. One of the things that we intersected in that discussion is basically to go the route of the farmer's markets. So a farmer's market can only be operated by farmers or by nonprofits in the United States. So here we suggested basically that the cooks should all be part of a cooperative. So they should be member owners and that the legislator should mandate that. We are working with the Sustainable Economies Law Center in San Francisco on that. This all raises the interesting set of questions around how government and society should respond to the rise of the gig economy. I guess there are three different approaches to this. And one is the laissez-faire attitude, just let it prosper. And it will create consumer surplus, it will create opportunity for workers, new flexibilities, let the market decide. And I think that's a legitimate set of arguments. The second is that government should intervene quite heavily particularly on the issue of employment status and should treat platforms as a threat to established ways of work. Trevor, you've already mentioned the impact that some of the platforms are having on transportation systems in particular settings. And so there is, again, a coherent argument that there should be some heavy-duty intervention. Indeed, in some European cities especially, we've seen that. Finally, there is a sort of third space where there could be a balance that can be struck between greater economy and security in work. So there could be new opportunities and we should see these as good opportunities. But government and society should have a view on the type of work that we want to see promoted via new gig platforms. And we need to innovate ways of ensuring that we see good gig work developing. Liv, What do you think is the most appropriate way for government and society to respond to some of the challenges we've already alluded to today? I guess a third space sounds like the happy balance, obviously. I do think that the government should impose certain regulations. I think I have the best intentions in the world to grow my business ethically and environmentally. But for example, if I got external investment in, it would help me to have strong laws in place so that I can have a stronger argument to fight the corner of, you know, supporting worker rights, etc. So sometimes it's not even whether the leader of the business chooses to be ethical or not. 
it's better having certain regulations that you know will support the workers on the platform. At the same time, having some kind of flexibility around it. So whether there can be some kind of point system around, you know, what the worker is achieving, what they're getting out of it, how much control they have and how much security they have, I think is really important. I find that if I speak to my chefs, unanimously one of the top reasons they came onto the platform rather than continuing to work in a restaurant is because they loved the flexibility the independence the ability to have creativity and that was an unsolicited open question to them so they value it as well so should we take a clear view as societies as to what constitutes good gig work should we even start to describe what we think good gig work is versus gig work that's less optimal I suppose one would have to quantify it in order to make it manageable. But if you can quantify somehow how they'll benefit in terms of a basic income that they'll get or the fact that not everyone is entirely financially driven and if they can show that there's, for example, a career progression or some other advantage they're getting out of it, I think we could probably find a way to measure it and have a more democratic view of what's important. Broby, on the specific question of employment status, and in the UK setting, it's whether they're self-employed workers or employed. How do we resolve that? Is that something we should look to our government to resolve? We resolve this through the court or some other means? So on employment status, I think that the government has a role in clarifying the law, and that's what they're doing through the Taylor Review, for example, and that there are certain things that they can change so that workers are more empowered under the law to question their status. But I think that government actually has a more important role here in trying to change the way that they govern. So, for example, we talk about different modes of regulation and we talked about creating a hostile environment or giving these platforms free reign. And I think that in this third way, what we're articulating is actually something called shared regulation, which is a more collaborative approach. So working with platforms and civil society government can try to articulate a vision of what good work looks like. We can start with the principles-based approach, and I think that should be grounded in evidence, as Liv says. But I think that that might be looking at fair compensation, but also progression and how workers have a say in decisions that are made. So I think there's a lot of territory that needs to be traversed when it comes to gig workers. So, for example, we think about employee voice. That's making a lot of headway in terms of what we're advocating when it comes to corporate governance. So why can't we think of what employee voice might look like for gig workers, for example? Trevor, obviously, cooperatives is a civil society response. What support would you expect from governments, from city authorities, or wider civil society? So this is very crucial in that you see that Basically, I think in the United States, the regulatory efforts should be city-based, so municipal regulation rather than federal. Some for obvious reasons, if you follow the news, but I think also the conditions are actually very different from one city to the other. We wrote a policy brief for Senator Gillibrand, who is the Democratic senator of New York. Here we suggested to conduct uh, public hearings in the U.S. capital, but also in state capitals, involve local communities. We asked to host or sponsor platform co-op organizing meetings that bring together small business owners to answer questions like the one about Grub Club, right? How could this actually be turned into a cooperative? And many people asked us that, right? So we love the co-op model, but how would we do it? To incentivize the production of open source technologies, sponsor legislation that provides vendor preferences to worker-owned, cooperatively run businesses. A lot of that is happening in the UK. We just had a fairly big 
event at Goldsmiths on the platform economy and to basically create an award fund that would incentivize platform co-ops to provide funding to establish an academic center that focuses on issues like that. So many, many issues that you can think of. Liv, from your standpoint, are you aware of this wider civil society organization and thought and research and organizing that's going on currently or does this feel like a different world and perhaps it's happening in a sort of left field space compared to where you are in trying to develop a startup in a competitive environment yeah i do feel in my everyday life completely separated from it and by virtue of setting up a platform and we're in london we tend to be slightly more branded towards the tech startup kind of world. I feel actually really quite detached from any of that civil society discussion. And I personally feel, not in a bad way, but a bit of an outsider in both in the sense that I don't see us as a pure tech growth platform like a lot of the other Silicon roundabout platforms. But at the same time, I know that we do need to use technology in order to grow. So I don't feel that close to any of the civil society movements at all, sadly. A last question for each of you. And just imagine we're 10 years in the future and looking back at the growth of the gig economy. Do you think we'll regret not having intervened in the right ways or will we be applauding ourselves as something which may ended up being a majorly innovative part of the economy that provided good, flexible work for many? Well, I think it cuts both ways, but I think there are opportunities. There is definitely innovation. You know, we just have to make sure that this also has community benefit and the situation of workers isn't overlooked. I think that there's a good chance that this cooperative platform economy will expand. Over the last two years, we saw the emergence of some 160 businesses that work in this way in various sectors. And I think this has a good chance to contribute to a more diversified digital economy where the big players like Airbnb, Uber and the ones that dominate the British economy are still operating, but there is also a space for alternative operations. Bremi, what's your thoughts? I think that this is a really important time to think about what we want the gig economy to look like in future, because the gig economy is still nascent. A lot of these platforms have only really emerged in the UK in the last five years or so. And I think that this is an early and significant test of how we should respond to the technological changes that are transforming the world of work. I think that through one, taking a different approach to regulation, we're thinking about how we innovate outside of the system more broadly. So not just pulling the usual levers when it comes to the law, for example. So I think that we have an opportunity actually to to really change the way that we approach these sorts of things. And I think that through advocating an approach of shared regulation, I think that we'll be able to achieve a lot more. Liv, we'll be regretting not acting in 10 years time, do you think? Or we'll be applauding ourselves for having been smart in how we've regulated and built civil society as well as a startup culture. I do think it is really important to actually have a very proactive debate now because I feel it's also something that if we just let it run its natural course, the way that the macro economy works is not necessarily in favour of this type of platform or it is in favour of the platforms that just go for really quick quick growth without focusing on any of the other impacts on either environment or society. So I do think now in its nascency is a really important time to actually bring in 
clever regulations and ones that actually look at the wider impact on society and the environment. And if we don't do it now, I think we'll grow, the platforms will grow too quickly in a one-sided dimension when now we exactly have a chance to, to address them. It sounds like with smart government and city regulation, with the growth of civil society in and around the gig economy, we can help steer what is a high growth area in a direction that will better support workers, providers, those who use the platforms, as well as create some innovation and flexibility. But we need to have all those elements to make it work. It's been a great discussion and thank you very much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you to Liv, Trevor and Bromi and this debate's not going to stop here. Indeed, it will go on for quite some time to come. This programme has been an RSA in Resonance production. In the next and final episode, Matthew Taylor will be asking what makes for good work and how does this compare with most people's experience of work today? To make sure you get that and to hear previous episodes, subscribe to the RSA Radio podcast.